And welcome back to week 10 of That Scale RC Show. I'm your host, Adam Dean, alongside with... Jeremy Kendall. And what do we got going on this week? Oh, lots of stuff, actually. Many, many things. We've got... Uh, some more releases are hitting the shelves, it looks like. We've got... Um, couple new chassis kits to talk about too which we kind of touched on last week you know it's weird i haven't yeah. really seen a whole lot of new uh, details revealed about that ssd chassis because i've been sort of paying attention to that on you know you see ads popping up from rpp about it and stuff and i haven't really seen well anything. it's funny yeah it's funny you say that i think it's really only rpp that i actually see the those style of posts from um i haven't really seen those from anybody else uh, which is kind of interesting. So I wonder if it's like a RPP exclusive thing first. Like, are they getting sneak peek first, and then everybody else will get to see it? Uh, I I have no idea. Yeah, they may have like some special thing worked out to where they, you know, get the sneak peek stuff, and they're the ones that are doing all the promoting. Since uh, I don't know, they must just be one of the SSDs like preferred retailers or something. I guess be able to. Yeah, that's very that's very possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, from what I've seen, I think it looks pretty cool. Uh, I'm just interested to see if it comes with their transmission and forward motor mount setup. Mm hmm. Yeah, I. Yeah. I'll just say, yeah. <laughs> well, I find it interesting only because, you know, I, with me doing that venture into the one. Um, SEX 10 platform that I'm doing with that forward motor mount, I'm kind of having to make everything myself. So if theirs is already like a kit to do that, and you're trying to do one of those style of builds, that might make it a lot easier for you to achieve that oh, in a platform yeah. that you already know that works. Yeah, for so. sure. No, I think that I think that'll be pretty cool. I don't know. It's it's going to be weird seeing where they price it because I don't know if they're going to do like they do with the regular axles that they have. Um, you know they're um oh god the diamond diamond pro and then they've got their uh kind of dana looking one that they sell too but yeah it was just kind of interesting seeing that you know the if, if they're gonna do the axles the same because i because one one thing I, I know for sure just from the pictures and stuff they've got an offset pumpkin in the front like the vanquish rig does so, mm -hmm. so that's like one of the very first things you notice about it but um i'm thinking that I don't know. They they do the the pumpkin plastic on the other ones, and I really like that because of it sliding over stuff. And then supposedly with the axles, you get like what is it like seventy five grams of weight because they use like a cast alloy housing. So I don't know. I'm thinking that if if they build them like they have their other ones too, that's going to be pretty solid. So I've, I've had really good luck with SSD axle housings. I mean, you've tried them too, haven't you? Yes, but I've only run the plastic. Oh, okay, yeah, no, this is, that, actually, once we start doing some Wraith talk, too, um, that'll, I can kind of explain what I got going on with that, because I want to do the, uh, I'm kind of wanting to do their Diamond Pro axles on this thing. I, I want to keep it kind of a lightweight build, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking, like, their axles and good set of aluminum wheels and maybe not even weight them so i don't know but it's going to be interesting seeing what they do decide to come out with for that thing so and what price point 
it would be super sick if they were able to bring it in at under 500 bucks. I think that would be great. Oh, yeah. Well, because you got to think, I, I think that transmission and motor combo itself is a little over 100 bucks. Um, yeah, I think the so. The forward motor one. Uh, their axles are probably a couple hundred. I mean, so if you if you do the math right there, it's you know that in itself is close to three hundred bucks. So um, it'll be interesting to see where the whole thing tallies into. Yeah, because if they price it too much, you know they're they're gonna have trouble selling it because the immediate thing people are gonna do the second they see that offset pumpkin is compared to the Vanquish rig, and then they're going to start talking about cost and everything else versus what you're actually getting. So that's something that kind of, I don't know. I'm glad I'm not them having to figure out a good retail price for that because that probably isn't too much fun. Well, you know, that's actually, it's funny you bring that up. Um, that's actually a, a interesting point of view. Um, you being in the business, uh, myself being self Void, um, when you have to come up with marketing your stuff and putting a set price, whether it be your labor and or product, um, that's a difficult task. That's not that's not the easiest thing to do. No, it's um, really hard. Actually, you wouldn't think so, but it's tough, man. Well, it's tough because everything's like you know, is you know, as much as you want to say, oh, you're not competing with anybody. Everything is a competitive. All everything in business is competitive because if you're too, if you're the cheapest, yeah, you'll probably sell a lot of stuff, but you're gonna wear yourself thin because your your stuff is gonna be selling so fast. Either a, you're not gonna have the demand will be too much for what you can actually pump out, or b, you're gonna there's going to be no margin for making anything because you're trying to keep the cost down. So now the cost that it takes for that actual product and for you to put it out there, your margin's not going to be worth your efforts of doing it all. Or that's when they start cutting corners, like whether it be material or whatever. And that will also be, you know, and other factors. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, and you don't so. want to scare people away. That's always the hardest thing that I have with pricing stuff is you don't want to scare people to death with the price. You know, it's like, it. I don't know. It's just, it's hard because then that does you no favors at all, obviously. You know, if you price it, you know, even if it's, let's say, something that you're the only person, let's say, that offers a product, like, it's still tough because, you know, are people going to buy it? Can I make it for this price so that people will buy it and do I consider you know well hopefully I'll make up for volume where I you know I'm maybe dropping the price a little bit to try and move more units I mean it's it's a lot to think about and that that definitely has got to be a difficult part of the process here well yeah and then also like you kind of said you know too you know you're you don't want to be too high because then you're going to scare everybody away but you know, I, I think what some people need to sit back and, you know, think about when they're purchasing some of this stuff, or even if you're in the business of being an entrepreneur and trying to come up with a product to sell to the masses or a service to sell to the masses, um, you know, sometimes you need to step back and go, would I pay if, you know, and you have to seriously ask yourself this as like a non-biased question or give yourself a true honest to heart answer and say 
would I buy that for that price? If I was your average consumer and this company was selling, you know, product A and, you know, it comes out for 50 bucks, you know, you got to ask yourself, would you realistically pay that? If you tell yourself no and you're giving yourself an honest answer and you're like, no, that sounds high, then go with your gut, you know, and try to find a way to adjust it. Yeah. Well, if if you say, you know, yes, I would, and you're being honest, you know, because I know there's some people that just want to sell a product, so they'll tell themselves, oh, yeah, somebody will pay this, um, which isn't always true. But, you know, some nine out of ten times it actually does happen, you know, mm-hmm. where somebody pays, you know, like look at the look at the frenzy when the, um, I don't know if you ever saw it, with the new bright Jeep bodies. Oh, yeah. Good God, did they ask some serious money for some of those? I mean, it's a model or a toy that you can go to Walmart or Kmart or Target, and you could have picked up the full working rig for 60 bucks, and people were stripping the bodies off these things and turning around and going online and asking like $200 for them. Yeah, yeah like, there was a period there where it was tough to even find new bright stuff at Walmart because of that reason, too. Exactly. So, well, it's because people knew that they could snatch those, turn around and sell them and make, you know, decent money on it. Um, and it got pretty ridiculous because people were paying that for them. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of those things, you know, where enough people are paying that much for them. You're never going to really find one any cheaper because everybody's just going to go, hey, if Joe Blow's getting 200 bucks for it, why am I trying to sell it for 80 bucks? I'm going to throw it up for 200, you know? Yeah, exactly. So. Um, sometimes, you know, one person choosing to pay the high price, you know, isn't always trying to find like the right word to say this. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound like negative or, you know, trying to think of the right way to say this. It's like, just because one person will pay something doesn't mean you should always be asking that. Yeah. That doesn't set the market price necessarily because that's what one person's going to do. No, exactly. I I totally understand that. So, and I think that slacked off a bunch too cuz it seems like now, you know, you've got like Extra Speed and Deadlock and some other companies that sell that same basic hard body set, you know. It it doesn't have some of the stuff on it, but for the, you know, like uh It's actually nice cuz they don't come with the goofy like window net looking things in the bed area and stuff, but I don't know. They're they're uh I I I think that the price gouging over the new bite bodies kind of seems like it sort of went away after some of that stuff started being readily available well it's not so much that i think some of the price gouging went away when um you were able to go online like on ebay like i'll be honest i went and bought some you know i'm sure it was made in china you know ford or jk body and it was 80 bucks shipped to my door and it's more detailed than a new bright jeep yeah. Um, I think it's actually the same style. I mean, I could be wrong. Um, RC Girl could be used. I think she's using an extra speed Jeep body. Um, but they're all kind of the same platform. All the doors open, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty got a detailed interior. interior, too. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, the one I got came with mirrors, full detailed interior, the doors open. Um, all the lights, windshield wipers. I mean, it came with everything. 
the whole nine yards. So, I mean, where else can you get something that detailed in a hard body for 80 bucks? Yeah, exactly. So, no, and those, but, those do look really good. Oh, yeah. Um, I took mine a step further just because I, I, I have a thing for that. Some people call it the Stingray hood. Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's because that's what um, James Knight categorized it as when he sold his. Uh, I just call it like the recon or the that's just basically how the JKs are coming now. They're just mm-hmm. coming with that style hood. So I actually took his Stingray hood for a 2017 Axial and I cut out the center that I needed and I grafted it into mine. So it gave it that look. That would be pretty cool to do something like that. I, I don't know. I haven't tried one of his hoods yet. I need to do that. There's a lot of stuff. I got to get a bunch of stuff from him before too long actually now that i think about it yeah you know what's interesting um now that we're like just bringing that up is i've noticed that he hasn't really been doing that product release for the buying of the files like remember how he dropped the the, uh, what did he drop first oh the bronco interior No, no 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 he he was offering things that you could buy the files and print them at home Oh, it, it was either the Canyon Cooler or the Bronco interior. I forget which. The Traxxas Bronco interior. Because so I think that was one of his first, like, downloadable files that you can get. Yeah, because there was that. I'm trying to think of what else there was. Tent. Did the rooftop tent. I know the rooftop tent came available, because I know a couple people that printed those out. Um, and then, actually, his Pelican cases are available. Um, oh, yeah. What else? I forgot about those. Yeah, but it's just interesting how all that stuff kind of started, and then all of a sudden it just stopped. There was no more announcement of, hey, this is going to be available. And hmm. I, I don't know if it, it was more too much for him to handle, meaning like it was too hard to keep track of who actually paid for the file. Yeah, uh, I don't know how that works, actually. Because I know that so, some people were buying the file and like printing it for other people. Well, yeah. Well... I know that he had said that it was okay for certain people as long as they got the money for it. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, so, like, if I wanted, um, you know, I'm just going to throw a name out there. Like, if I want Todd to print me something for, of his, mm-hmm. I would actually have to give, even though Todd has the file because he purchased it for his one time down, you know, one time use, mm-hmm. I would have to still send the money to James. So, he would still get his money as if I was downloading it, and then we just have. Oh, gotcha. You know. Right. But like I said, that's a, that unless he's got some weird encrypted tracking on it, I don't know how you keep track of that. It's at that point, it's an honor system. Yeah, that is kind of tricky. I don't know how they would do that. So and that's I. I really haven't had a lot of conversations with him like I used to. So I'm kind of out of loop with some of the stuff that he's got going on right now. Yeah, maybe that would be another good uh, guest idea for the future. Oh, definitely. He'd be great to talk to. See if we can get him on here, some of the stuff he's doing and talking about. I mean, and, and honestly, now I probably answer my own question. Thinking about that, of the whole him not releasing anything, the biggest project he's been working on is he's he's had his hand in that, um, uh, what was that Toyota basically looking body? Oh, the metric. Yes, and he had his hand in that, so that could also be part of it. 
he could have been busy with that and just oh yeah you know, I bet. releasing files to the public became big time back burner yeah no that that probably isn't too far off from the truth i'm willing to bet so but you know um so do you have any new projects that you've been working on lately well, um, Unimog hasn't really gotten anything else other than some side panels that I did, and I actually kind of took a page from James's book and did a uh, downloadable um, template file to that you can just print off, you know, in like one-to-one scale from your printer at home and make Lexan side panels for the Unimog that are kind of like rally truck race looking, so I did that, and then... You and I both have one nine wraiths, and I know we've been brainstorming about what all to do to those. So that's uh, that's kind of in the front of my mind right now is the one nine wraith, just because I I don't know I'm I'm kind of really wanting to spend some time with this. The brief like ten minute period that I drove it, I love the thing. So oh yeah, um, I mean you getting yours and sending me the pictures of it. That was the final push to just get me to, <laughs> to get me to go get it. I mean, it, it does help that I did a big, or not a big, but I did a decently, um, I guess, paying side job after work on Friday. So that gave me some oh, extra right. cash. So, so I was like, all right, I got the extra cash. Jay just got his. I said, I got to get mine. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I, went, I headed down to San Jose, uh, picked mine up Saturday, and um the first like like i like i do with almost all my rigs when i first get them take them out of the box you know kind of look over everything kind of like you know get familiar with what's going on and um just kind of like hold it you know and flex it out on the table just kind of look you know check clearances and all that stuff and just kind of admire it i mean i don't know call me a weirdo but hold that's kind of like cuddle it caress it <laughs> pretty much you know that's pretty much that <laughs> tell it it's I special mean, in its own way <laughs> <laughs> um and then uh and then you sit there and you tell it it puts the lotion on the skin yep <laughs> um no but seriously i mean that's kind of like how i get through like i don't know that's just how i i handle a lot of my new rigs i just kind of you know i always just check it out because you know it's it's i guess it's admiring the the craftsmanship and like the engineering and stuff even though i know a lot of people said that it is you know oh it's just a reworked wraith yes and no um if you actually take the time to look at it there are some things that cross over and then there's some things that are very different from the original wraith um I myself own personally own an original Wraith, um, and comparing that to the Wraith 1.9, other than the obvious fact that you have S, you know, SCX10 with axles and whatnot tires on it, um, the the front end, you know, the big distinctive, you know, almost like, you know, um, what's the word? Uh, drawing a blank now. Um, Stinger style front bumper is gone and if you actually look at it they integrated that front um like radiator core support is basically where the end of the chassis stops instead of having that you know protruding um stinger bumper like the og wraith has and then they integrated 
that front grill to go attach to that. So that's kind of how the whole front end is held together is basically through the grill. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. And then looking at the pan hard mount, you know, that's totally different. Um, getting the servos up in the chassis, that's entirely different. Uh, because I remember looking at, uh, who was the first, was it Vanquish? I think Vanquish was one of the first ones to have a chassis mounted servo option for the Wraith. Oh, yeah. And it was, and it was actually a funky design because they actually made something that basically kept the servo in the same orientation as being on the axle. And it just went literally straight up. And then, and I remember you had to like clamp it through the, suspend like through the the chassis tubing and then i think it mounted somewhere to some fixed points that were on there and you screwed it in place but you know you actually had to work to get a chassis mounted servo and a wraith and now they you know they re-engineered it and boom you have your electronics box right next to the wraith and i think that's another thing that looks pretty cool is you pop the hood to throw the battery in and that motor mount just or the motor cover kind of blends in and goes over the servo area so everything kind of just disappears and it's almost like looking at a real truck i mean there were some like i said i have to say there were minor things that they've done that i think deserve a little more attention than they ever pointed out to yeah i think so too there was a lot of stuff that this thing has that they kind of just sort of glossed right over and i don't know i mean it's the thing that's funny is when people say like, oh, it's just a Wraith with a couple of reworked things. It's like, okay, first of all, like anytime you're doing injection molding or anything like that, it is very expensive. So when you're doing injection molded plastic pieces, that's actually one of the most expensive parts of an RC car kit. And so the fact that it does actually have all of these different plastic parts and stuff, I mean, that was a pretty big financial undertaking for something like that you know with like the grill and stuff like that and then you know the fact that you can actually put different scx bumpers on the thing i thought that was actually really cool too you know that it has like a traditional post style bumper mount so i mean you've got like all these options with this thing and you know in plus the body i mean you know trying to do a mold for a body is like not an easy task so you know, there, yeah. there was definitely a lot of money that went into developing this thing. So, I mean, it's not like they're just, oh, yeah, we'll be able to move some race that aren't so, and we'll just slap this on it, and here we go, we're done. But, no, I mean, they there's actually a lot of effort put forth to be able to put this thing out, which I don't think that the average dude realizes. Oh, yeah, and actually the funny thing, too, is now that I actually have mine in, in my hands, um, I want to say the body is a good, like, almost hybrid conversion of the deadbolt mixed with the spawn body it's right? very interesting so like at first i always were like oh they just reused the the deadbolt they just kind of added a hinging hood and that was it and then after i stared at it a little bit longer i'm like no that actually doesn't exactly look like that from the sides because the sides have a little bit different contour to them so i'm like and then it dawned on me I have a spawn body and I was like, Oh, it's a spawn. It's like spawn slash deadbolt. It so. kind of is. Yeah. That, that is kind of how it went. Cause the deadbolt sort of has that like Bronco ish look to it and whatnot. And then the spawn is kind of, I don't know. 
Well, definitely the, has the spawn the spawn take as far as like the definition, the side profile, and the rear. Mm -hmm. That's dead. That's straight up spawn. The front still has that deadbolt, you know, look to it. That spawn was my first SCX body. Really? Yeah, that was my very first one. I I dug it because it kind of looked like a bobbed and doved like Range Rover or something. You know, it was kind of cool looking, but it they kind of have it down like their whole retro meets modern thing that they do lately you know like it, they're mm -hmm. actually really good at blending that stuff in you know like i don't know the first thing that i think of when i look at like the black wraith is like it's kind of hot rod looking you know like yeah. it sort of has that like rat rod look to it and the you know what might look really cool would be doing the spawn body on one of these and see if you can incorporate the stock grill into it also that would be bitching looking Yeah, no, um, it's definitely something that, you know, if you think about it, a lot of their previous bodies should still work on it. I mean, if you can get your hands on, like, the Wraith uh, Poison Spider cheap, you know, body, should go mm -hmm. on there, no problem. Um, basically, almost anything that fits the Wraith will work. Um, they have it, I think, the Dead, so I think that leaves the Deadbolt. That Which I've seen spawned. a Deadbolt on a Wraith before, too, which looked really cool. Well, basically all it is, if you actually read a lot of their bodies that they made in the past, they, some of them will say, you know, works with, you know, and it'll, they'll list the cars on the actual tag. Oh, and cool. some people get, and some people get confused because they're like, well, like for instance, the back when they have the G6 Jeep, you know, the one with the no rear fenders and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And a lot of people, and, and it said, fits Wraith. And some people are like, I don't see how it fits Wraith. You know, there's no cutout for the cage. Well, you got to get a little creative. You have to basically hog out the entire half interior to get it to go around the Wraith cage. But once you do, yep. it fits around it perfectly. The double actually looks super sick on the on a Wraith. Like, that actually does look really cool. And then you got all the Proline ones, too, for them. You could have the Bronco with the open side doors. You could mm -hmm. do their Proline's Jeep Rubicon body for the Wraith that has kind of half doors on it, which are cool looking. Um, you could even do that Scout-looking body, like what I did that uh, 4500 class build with. You could even take that and cut the interior out of that and put one of those on this, which would be really cool looking, too. Oh, yeah. But the problem um, there is you don't get to use the awesome grill that came with it. True. I'd actually like to see, you know, maybe if somebody from Proline's listening, um, I'd actually like to see them bring a Chevy version of some sort of body similar to their Bronco and the Ambush body. Something that you could still use on um, an SCX-102 and you could actually use on the Wraith. I think that would be pretty cool. Dude, you know what would look dope on something like this would be a... Uh s10 blazer body the square one yes have like a pinched and dubbed s10 blazer body for the wraith that would look bitchin oh yeah i mean i'd even like to just see a k5 blazer something like that mm -hmm. you know and i'm not talking like 80s k5 i'm talking bring it back like you did with the ford bring it back to the 70s you know back when they had character mm -hmm. you know i mean don't get me wrong i'm a big you know bow tie fans so i like almost all bow ties um and there's nothing wrong with the 80s k5 you know that's very iconic in itself but the 70s early 70s 
body styling is like my all-time favorite Chevy body styling hands down. So, if they could if they could bring that back or if they can introduce something like that, I'd be I'd be all over it. Yeah, I keep looking at this thing thinking what else you could do on something like this. There's a lot of possibilities. So do you have so do you have any other plans for yours or are you just still uh, playing around with it? I don't know what to do. I, I kind of want to do the regular Wraith interior with the standalone molded plastic seats. I, I kind of want to do that just to have it be different, you know, and there's some really cool uh, seatbelt harnesses and stuff that people are making for those seats that they use in these. So I was thinking that would be cool. Um, probably, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would want to do the drop bed on it or not. I'm kind of up in the air about that. Um, I was kind of wanting to just drive it with plastic links and stuff and see how it worked. Um, I did replace the front tie rod with one of the just steel kind of gold colored uh, RTR ones that I had that was a takeoff of something so I put that on just to kind of make it a little more rigid but I left the drag link in the pan hard in the uh, with the, just the stock plastic ones but I'll probably do brass links um, working on a flat skid for it which would work really nice with those boat sides that are on this you'd gain about a quarter inch of clearance um, I want to try and incorporate some sort of link risers into that too so that you can actually have some adjustment with it. But I'll probably do like brass links on the thing or um, a set of incision, uh, the Vanquish incision steel links for it. Um, Tekken power plant, I already put a Protex servo in it. I did the 370 TBL, which is their big bad boy. Um, still got the stock ESC and motor, but that stuff's probably going to come out of here shortly. So. Um, I don't know. It's th That's probably really about it. I was going to do a set of our headlights in it, but I kind of don't want to monkey with the grill at all just because I really like how the regular grill is. I mean, I could probably get them to fit behind the factory lenses, you know, if I hogged it out, but I don't know. I'm actually looking at the thing right now while we're talking, kind of looking at it while we're discussing all this, but I don't know. Like the front bumper... If I were to even replace that with anything, I think the only thing I would maybe use is like the um, Vanquish Ripper bumper. Yeah. Actually, no. You know what? I'm a liar. That won't work because it doesn't have the posts. Oh. Uh, I think the Vanquish one bolts right into the C-channel frame. So, no. Looks like I'll be leaving the CRC bumper, which I'm not against. I'm, I'm actually, like, perfectly fine using plastic bumpers on stuff just because... They work really well, the, well. I mean, well, the one thing I like about that bumper is how tucked it is into the body. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the same dining room table bumper that's on the 2017 CRC Jeep, and on that, and it's also on the Devil. And on both those rigs, if you if you look at them in stock form, how close or how much farther out it sticks, you should see basically the the approach angle is just like insane. You know, if you look at the other ones, there's like no approach angle. You really have to hit an obstacle at an angle just to hop up on. If you look at the Wraith 1.9, they tuck that thing so far back that you have really good approach angle. You're almost like if you basically come up to anything that's about almost three quarters of the way 
as high as like as your tire, you should be able to climb right up over it, like face first, like not even having to go at an angle. So, no, I think that, I think you're right because I've I've got four point seven five uh, Hyrax on mine right now, and uh-huh. they are maybe three quarters of an inch from the edge of the bumper, like set back from it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. As far as mine goes, I'm gonna pretty much leave it as stock as possible, probably for a while, just because. I've always had good luck with everything the way it is. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie. My deadbolt, I've done nothing to except metal bumpers, aluminum wheels, and I threw in an upgraded servo. They really that don't is, need a lot more than that. These new plastic links that are on them are actually pretty strong. Oh, yeah. So, um, and, I, and I think what other people forget, too, is, you know, when you upgrade some of that stuff, um, like especially if you're just getting into this, this would be a good tip for anybody just getting into the hobby. Um, there's always, you know, when you upgrade one area, there's like the, what's the word? It's like a domino effect. Mm-hmm. If you don't continue going, yeah, you might have upgraded one area and improved that, but now you've made this area vulnerable. Yeah, you've created it. a weak link by, make yeah. People go overboard with some aluminum stuff too, like especially with bashing and racing and stuff like that. People go nuts with aluminum, and one of the problems with that is, is it just puts the stress on the next most flexible part, and then that's what's going to break. So you have to kind of really be selective on you know what you're going to swap out. Yeah, like for instance, you switch over to all metal links. You're like, okay, well now you've you know strengthened up the suspension, but what is that attached to you know now you got um you know is the is the chassis flexing out or because that's stiff um and it doesn't allow any you know movement of anything do you snap the plastic knuckles if you didn't upgrade to the other knuckles and you know it's just it's just a chain reaction right so you know when you're gonna upgrade you need to i think continue upgrading or understand where the next weak point is so you know not to completely, you know, like don't get the front tire pinched and then try and turn when you have metal links. You know, you're just going to snap the plastic housing and be done with it. Yeah, exactly. No, that's definitely good advice for something like that. But it's funny, like what you what you said, um, I know it's a little side note, but uh, that whole, oh, you know, you go overboard, you make everything aluminum thinking, oh, you're strengthening everything up. Uh, it's actually pretty funny uh, in the monster truck racing that I see. Uh, there's you know there's some guys that they they go all out. They they switch over to the flat rail aluminum channel or aluminum flat you know chassis with aluminum links and aluminum everything. And I'm not kidding. They go up against like the SMT platform, which is like 95% plastic, and the SMT holds up because it has give where the aluminum one just blows the smithereens, at, mm-hmm. you know, because it just can't hold up to, you know, the kind of stress that it's getting. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, but yeah, um, but back to the Wraith, uh, I want, I'm a big fan of the Fastback mod. I've never been really a fan of that full Wraith, you know, lid. It just, even with the original Wraith, I just wasn't my thing. So I want to do some sort of a fastback mod, but 
I don't want to do the one where you attach the links to it. I just that's just not the style. That's I've done that in the past. Um, Michelle's son has his that way. Her dad's is set up that way. I just kind of want to do this one a little different. So I've been kind of scouring the internet, looking at old Wraith fastback mod pictures to kind of brainstorm an idea of what to do. Um, and that's really about it. I think I'm going to throw some other wheels on it just because getting any kind of aluminum there versus the plastic will give you a little more weight and it'll just help, especially in stock form, to keep it a little more planted. Um, mm -hmm. And then just have fun with it. That's pretty much all I'm looking to do. Just go out and enjoy it. Yeah, it's this replaced my um, Class 1 rig. So I'll oh. probably use this in class three once in a while. I'm not super serious about our series, though. I mean, I've told you that before. Like, I don't really want to, like, win any events that I'm, like, hosting or anything like that. And I don't want to, like, trophy at the end of the year or anything necessarily. So I, I am kind of just toying around with the idea of just driving different rigs just to, just because, you know, because it's fun and because I can. And I think it'd be kind of a enjoyable thing to do you know like sit class two out for a little bit and kind of do a couple things to the wraith to make it a little more competitive and run that and then you know when i get tired of that maybe build another class one rig i don't know just kind of just have some fun playing around with different things and just kind of i don't know take some time to enjoy it and not be locked into any one thing in particular you know well you know you you actually just nailed um you know, nailed it right on the head with that one. Um, a lot of my rigs, like, you know, I have my more scale rigs, which, you know, you dial them out, you make them look more like something you'd see on the trail. And then I got a couple of rigs that are more like what I call, you still see them on the trail, but they kind of look like, you know, the big time sponsored rigs. Like mm -hmm. if you watch, you know, any of those big companies going through Rubicon or, right. um, uh, Easter Jeep Safari, you know, like out in Moab and stuff, um, you know, and then I have rigs like this, which is a little more like, okay, you know, it's definitely a different rig. It's not something you'd see on the trail every day. And yeah. Um, so it's fun to just bounce around and have different, you know, styles of build. So, you know, you get a little, you know, diversity among whatever you're trying to achieve instead of everything always turning out the same way. Yeah, so exactly. I think, so, so it's definitely fun, and um, yeah, so I'm definitely excited about it, and it was so funny. I came home with mine, and the next day, Michelle's dad was checking it out, and he liked it so much, he had me take him to the hobby shop so he could get one. So <laughs> That's we, awesome. So now we have two identical, well, they're identical for now, but two identical orange 1.9 rates. It's hilarious. <laughs> That's rad. So, um, yeah. And then, um, what else? The other thing that I, you know, just to point out that I think is kind of cool and I know everybody's got their own preference, but my, my radio of choice since I got into RC has been spectrum. So when they switched over to the spectrum style radio for the RTRs now, Oh yeah. I think it's pretty cool because it's a platform I'm familiar with. Right. So it's like, yeah, it might not be like my fancier DX5 or DX4S, um, you know, where you have the menu and you can scroll and all that stuff. 
but the feel, the looks, you know, it res- it resembles what I'm used to. So it's just kind of for me, it's just something super, you know, something easy to use instead of like you know the tactic, which some people loved them, some people hated them. Um, it's just like I said, something that's just a little more familiar for me. So I just like it. It was big, big plus points for me. It actually has a really nice feel to it for being a less expensive radio, you know, like it, it actually has like really nice soft trigger pull. The, the power rolls on really nice and gradually. Like, I mean, the stock radio actually, I mean, as far as like the trigger feel and stuff like that, it feels pretty darn good. Cause I was thinking about replacing it, but I was like, you know, I mean, granted, you know, now you don't have a three channel like you did with the tactic. The spectrum, I believe is just a two channel, which are, you know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Cause really, unless you want the bumper to stick out a long ways at the moment, there's no, uh, winch options for this thing. So, you know, a three channel radio isn't necessarily a, a big deal. You know, it's not like a deal breaker if somebody's looking to buy one of these. So no, I, it, I was actually pretty impressed with how it performed. Um, I, I didn't even have a, uh, aftermarket BEC with the uh, ProTech um, 370 that's in it, which a lot of people, you know, I mean, just about everybody, and, and I, I do it on certain things too, do an external BEC, but um, actually I had super good luck with this thing not burning out on me, so I thought that was kind of cool. Nice. You know what's funny is you just said that like, oh, people always ask, oh, do you have an external BEC because you're running the servo, and... I was talking with, you know, um, Thomas Cook about, you know, some of the MKS servos, and he was asking me how I liked, you know, this one servo, and I said, oh, it's great. You know, I just threw it in my, you know, my basically bone stock deadbolt. He's like, aren't you supposed to be running, like, where's your BEC? And I'm like, I'm not running a BEC. I said, I'm just running a stock, how it is. And he goes, hey, do you have no issues? And I go, Oh, am I supposed to? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, I just find it funny that like sometimes, you know, th- these rigs either a the stock electronics can handle the voltage, you know, change, so you don't really see anything, so nothing really, you know, light or browns out or anything. And I mean, you know, it's just interesting that everybody's had a different experience with like different stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I think ser- servos, you know, are definitely one of those areas that, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like getting a pair of shoes, you know, some people want, you know, like more like tennis shoe style, something that like laces up, gives you more support around your ankles. Some people want flat stuff. I mean, you're really going to have to go out and just figure out what works for you and what you like in a sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're out doing like serious rock crawling, not trail stuff, but I mean like real like gnarly rock crawling and you're getting into situations where things going to bind up and stuff. I mean, yeah, you're going to have it brown out, but like some of these dudes that I see in the Midwest and stuff where they just kind of basically don't have a whole lot more than hiking trails with like the occasional rock or maybe some roots or something. I mean, chances are those guys probably don't need a BEC. It just, it depends on what it is that you're, doing with it and the type of terrain that you drive like the stuff that we have up here like you can absolutely benefit from having an external bec because there's some gnarly lines and the rock is super high grip so you know you you need it because your tires don't really want to move so but i mean it it like like i said it just it depends on what 
you know your location is and what your plans are doing with it i'm always of the philosophy that you know don't go out and buy something unless you're sure that you need it i mean there's just no sense in throwing money at something when you know there might not even be a need to yeah and you know that's another question um, i guess that gets asked frequently is you know like oh what servo should i run and it's going to be kind of hard i mean realistically the things I look for is really, it starts with the torque. You know, I want it to have enough torque that it's going to push the rig through whatever I'm steering. You know, nothing's worse than throwing a servo in there that doesn't have enough power and you're trying to go around some rock and the thing can barely turn because it feels resistance against the tire. Right. Um, you know, and at the same, at the same time, you don't really want to throw too powerful of a servo in there because if you don't upgrade the other components like we were talking about earlier, like you don't upgrade the servo horn or you don't upgrade your, t- your tie rods and stuff, you're either going to break or bend something um, in the tie rod area or you're going to shatter your, um, your servo horn. So I always try to find something in at least the 300-ish round, anywhere from 300 to 400. I know it sounds like a lot, but that's kind of my go-to area for 1.9. No, I think that's pretty accurate, really. And then for 2.2, I try to find something close to, um, you know, between 450 and 500, just because you're pushing a lot more weight. I Mm. mean, there's some people I couldn't believe, like, on our MKS team, there's some guys talking about how they're like, oh, you know, they were talking about monster trucks, for example, the other day. And the one guy's like, oh, what, what server are you using in that? And they were like, oh, I'm using the ES1220. I'm going, excuse me? Because, like, I know for most of the listeners, they're probably like, okay, you're, you're speaking another language. What is that? That servo at, I think, seven. Seven-ish, I want to say. Um, uh, amps is just under four hundred. So I'm like, so you know, yeah, that's a lot, but you should see the mass that you're pushing with a monster truck. Oh, I yeah. would like to see something way like I'm like, how do you like? I said I'm surprised that thing holds up, you know. But um, some people do. Some people make some servos work, and some, you know, and it's like. Sometimes it almost feels like luck of the draw. You're just like, you know, you see somebody driving something with like massive tires. You're like, oh, yeah, what are you using? Oh, I'm using this servo. And you come to find out it's only got like 150 ounces of torque. And you're like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I definitely think sometimes it comes down to just luck of the draw. But um, servos are one of those tricky areas. So, and it's funny. The other number one thing that kind of goes hand in hand with the servo is and this is just a personal preference thing is i don't understand the need for i mean i mean i guess if you're somebody who's worried about it maybe this is where it comes into play but why some people are so um i guess hard up on getting something that says waterproof um you know most of these items they can handle the occasional water. I'm not t- talking submarine it, drive it underneath a river, and you know all this stuff. But a few 
you know, creek crossings or, you know, it's raining out or whatever, nine out of 10 times, that's not going to do anything to the servos because they're pretty much sealed up enough that it's more like a water resistant, almost like your average wristwatch, you know, yeah, it'll be water resistant to a certain, you know, depth. And then after that, that's when the water will find its way into everything and start causing problems. Um, and I've also noticed that some of these servos that say waterproof have a less torque, uh, lower torque rating than a standard servo that wasn't labeled waterproof. Interesting. That's really so, hard. Yeah. Well, because I know a uh, prime example is, uh, I think it was, I think Traxxas offers a waterproof servo and so does Savox. But if you get the... If you get either one of those in their waterproof rated one, I want to say it's something low. It's like 200, 225 ounces. But if you get that oh, same weird. exact, if you get that same exact family of servo in the in the regular, it gets it closer to 300. So you're just kind of like, why? Because it's waterproof. Is it low? That's weird. You know, the most of the higher quality servos that i've seen that have an aluminum center case on them most of those i, I know savox does and i've even seen some of the cheap like amazon ones because i'm the only reason i buy those is because i make servo winches out of them it's really easy um they uh actually have like o-rings in them that seal off you know the external plastic case and stuff so that's something i've seen on quite a few and i mean if you're if you do have a servo that's not waterproof there's a couple things you can do with it um you can open it up make sure that you do have a an o-ring seal around that plate that the four screws go through um you can look there. Uh, if it doesn't, you can do either uh, like a dialectic grease or um, even shugu just around the seams of the servo. And then what I've seen guys do for added protection is take a small O-ring and put it around the output shaft of the servo with a little bit of waterproof grease and then put your servo horn on. And that'll help keep moisture out, uh, you know, from entering at that point too. So that's kind of another little trick you can do. But no, Yeah, most... those, those are all basic... Um, tricks to kind of help your servo be more waterproof or water resistant. Um, I mean, just speaking from experience, most of my servos aren't labeled waterproof, and I should find this video. It was pretty funny. I tried to, I tried to, I guess, video bomb Elio at an event two years ago, and I had my rig, <laughs> and he was trying to like, I think he was trying to like flex out or drive through like alongside like this water embankment and i was driving my tow truck build and i bombed it like horizontally like across his frame and all you could <laughs> see all you could see was the boom sticking out of the water it was hilarious and that truck that truck runs fine no issues with the electronics no issues with the servo and i mean and i really didn't do much i mean i spend more time waterproofing ESCs because those seem to be more temperamental than yeah. anything else. Yeah, ESCs and receivers. I mean, receivers are pretty easy. Actually, any of them are pretty easy now. Now that like I'm kind of lucky because now Tekken has all their element proof stuff. I don't really have to worry about it. And then the Protex servos I run are waterproof too. But um, really, like the stuff I choose is usually around 400 ounces of torque. Um, for a 2-2 rig, I will say this, after having a lot of experience with the bomber, 
I think on in situations where you have a servo on axle with like the AR60s and stuff, I very much recommend getting a full aluminum cased servo. I had had some save boxes when I first got my bomber and was racing U4 with it. And dude, I would bust the tabs off of the servo cases left and right. Like it was crazy. And so I, at the time I was lucky enough to find one of those Vanquish servo armors. And so I put that on and that stiffened up the mounting points, you know, for the servo and everything and made it all solid. And then, uh, went to a all aluminum cased servo and that ended up being the cure for it but man i was breaking servo cases left and right because it's i mean those t2 tires that is an enormous amount of resistance for that servo to try and push especially when those things are hooking up so that's kind of something to consider you're going to spend more money but look at how many servos you're going to break or how many cases you're going to need to replace at 15 bucks or whatever it is that you know it kind of and plus, really, I mean, there's a lot of servos out there, like the A-Main uh, w- WP120T. It's part of their EcoPower line. That's a 400-ounce plus at 6.2 or something like that, I want to say. And it's waterproof also and has an aluminum center section, you know, for, like, heat dissipation stuff. But that thing retails at, like, 70 bucks. So, I mean, really, there's a lot of choices out there now that are not super expensive that are going to have the torque that you need that aren't going to be super power hungry like they were back in the day you know there's a lot smarter servos out there now so it's something to kind of something to consider at least so i don't know it's just kind of like what i do with my stuff that's sort of like my my take but i I really just wanted to add the part about the two two ones breaking the tabs because that was something that i ran into all the time well, you also got to think on something like the Bomber or the original Wraith that had the servo on axle. When, um, when it's down on axle, yeah, it's not taking as much stress <clears throat> as far as like the steering aspect. But where it's taking the stress is the beating that it's closer to the elements. Um, you know, that's what really stresses it out. Um, yeah. You know, you're still going to get the same gear stress on the axle as in the chassis. Um, the other thing is the chassis will actually give it a little more stress because you're, it's at a different location and the way it's mounted, it's, you know, it has the teeter effect. Whereas when it's usually flat on the axle, it's a little more rigid, so it doesn't have as much, you know, flex, but it still happens. So, yeah. but. Yeah, um, maybe we'll put a link up on our uh, on our page about the the different servos we run. So that way, if anybody yeah, good wants idea. to check out, if anybody wants to check it out, um, I know you run a lot of the Protech servos, and I run a lot of MPS, uh, which I know probably a, a good amount of our listener base will not know, or either a not know or b not know and have never heard of MPS, but it's definitely a brand um, I stand behind um, for more reasons than one. It makes a good product, so uh, we'll definitely have to put Very good stuff. Check out. That's right, I forget. Travis um, runs MPS. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's an MKS driver. I actually have one of his servos in one of our uh, Courier Replica Jeeps. I have a 599 in that, and that thing's beastly. I love that <clears> servo. <throat> I'm actually really proud of myself for remembering all these numbers and names for these different servos just off the top of my head, because usually I'm not so good at that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is the problem with, like, all these different brands, because, like, you know, they all label them different things, and they all have, and all those numbers, you know, correlate to a different reasoning for why or different classifications of what kind of servo it is there was Um, one i was really impressed with that is just pretty much unknown in areas outside of like flight just like how mks was up until you know the last couple of years you know they were mostly just like a helicopter and airplane servo companies where people knew them and so everyone thought they were like new to the scene when they started doing surface stuff but really weren't but uh there's another brand that's very similar to mks and it was omg and it was like outstanding model group or something like that is like the actual like real name of the company it's kind of a goofy name but there was a hobby shop uh over in spokane that uh sells those and i had gotten one uh trading out for some decal work and stuff he's like hey you know i got one of these you want to try it and see what you think and so i i tried it out and it was actually a really nice servo so it's uh there there's a lot of different brands out there popping up that people may not be familiar with but they're actually really good so i mean the the, the biggest thing of course is just product support too you know when you're picking a servo that's you know because most people will rebuild it if it split you know if you strip out the gears in it or have any other kind of issues and stuff so it is nice you know getting something that you can get replacement parts for so that's kind of good well well, the cool thing is i know a lot of these bigger companies um they sell replacement gear sets for their popular servos Mm -hmm. like or or i guess you could say they're more expensive servos so you know, don't buy the cheapest one that's got, you know, like 150 ounce, you know, torque rating and then expect them to have, you know, a gear set for it because if you keep breaking it, you know, yeah. you're just, there's, you know, you're probably just going to end up trying to replace it every time or fix the gears every time instead of maybe getting a servo that's designed to handle that. Right. Um, so... I it's know, kind of one of those areas you don't want to chintz on. Pretty much, it's well. It's almost like that with like even like a real car. You kind of don't want to chintz on your steering. Yeah, exactly. You, get, you kind of want to get something that can handle what you're doing. You know, yeah. Task. So. And it, it is tough being in that position, too, is when you're a sponsored driver and you're trying to recommend certain things to people because everybody's got, like, a different budget. And so, I mean, true. S- some people have affordable servos, and their idea of affordable is, you know, 100 bucks, and that's, like, some dude's, like, way high-end, like, save up for two paychecks to get one. You know what I mean? So it's like you, you have to kind of, I don't know, it, it's tough trying to be... A responsible source of knowledge when people come to you for questions like that because you've got your responsibility to your brand that you represent but also you have a responsibility to the guy that's you know putting his trust and his uh hard-earned money into the two cents worth that you're offering him so it's kind of well that's like that's why i would say you know to put my my shameless plug in right now would be if if I had to give a recommendation, I would recommend the MKS DS1220 because the retail price, strength and durability, um, and the overall performance. Um, 
it comes in retail I want to say it's like 80 bucks retail um, which isn't bad for a servo that gets you about 400 ounces of torque the rear half is aluminum the front is still plastic so you still have the plastic gears and you have metal gears so um, those are three big factors and that's kind of the reason why I recommend it all the time um, and by now it's no secret I am an MKS team driver so that's why I recommend that um, but my relationship not to totally get off topic or you know go on a whole side conversation um, with with MKS kind of is different because it wasn't one of those companies that reached out to me and said hey you want to be a team driver and I knew nothing about their products and then all of a sudden had to educate myself I actually stumbled into MKS prior to getting a team driver um, option or whatever um, and that's why I kind of feel the way I feel about them versus just like you know like there's some people that have loyalty to their brands just because that's you know they have their own reasons whether it be they just like that brand more um, they value the product or whatever um, I'm kind of like hey I actually got to try one of these when I wasn't you know being asked to and just the overall performance blew me away and that's what kind of drew me into it more so the actually the first one I ever owned was the one you mentioned the HBL 559 yeah things rad well what was funny was <laughs> I was running a uh, high tech uh, I'm drawing a blank on what their big bad one was 1350 1250 I'm just gonna nod my head because I I think I've owned one high-tech servo in 10 years <laughs> so I, I know nothing I'm drawing a blank it's the it's whatever the big the big bad one was I forget what it was it was the one that almost if you were if you were into high-tech servos that was the servo to get because it had the most torque full aluminum everything um and I'm just I feel bad that I can't remember what it but anyways, that's not important. What I'm getting at is I have my radio set, you know, all the endpoints were set to a certain, you know, way um, so I can get the maximum steering out of my rig. And it was funny when I when I fried that one, I was like, okay, I need to get a servo. Well, at the time, Jason CKRC was like, hey, we just started carrying MKS, you know. I want you to try this one out. So I was like, okay. And, I, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at the time because I was like, I've never heard of MKS. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. It's not, uh, you know, I'm not familiar with the product. So like, I was like, okay, this is either going to be a, a make or break. And when I threw that servo into my Wraith, I didn't reset the settings back to zero which is a big rookie mistake. You should always reset everything back to factory specs. So that way when you plug something in, it doesn't do something it's not supposed to do. Yeah, I always and, turn it on when I put the horn on just to kind of keep from, you know, like I'll power it up before I put well, the servo horn on. Well, yeah, well, I did that. But what I didn't do is change all my steering stuff. So it was crazy when I first tested to make sure that the steering worked when I had it fully cranked one way. 
the tires turn so much farther than my high tech did they were they pushed the tires into the links like i was like whoa i actually have to turn i actually have to turn this thing down that's what blew that's what blew me away because i was so used to it with my you know i was a big high tech person before and i you know and i had to always turn everything up like i had to turn steering up to like a hundred you know twelve percent and with this one, I actually had to turn it down to like 75% just to get it to not stuff the tires into the links. Like, that was, was, that was what was really crazy, which if you think about it, if you're not asking it to go the full distance, then you're not putting extra stress on it. So, and, you know, overall, you know, long-term effect, it's actually saving. You know, you're not stressing it out so the product's gonna last longer so that's like i said so to me that's what really sold me on it um and then later on tim smith got a hold of us so that was a whole different story but (laughs) um but yeah so no i thought that so that's one thing that i think is kind of cool so if there's one thing to take out of that story it's the fact that yes i know i'm a team driver but i did have real life experience with it prior to becoming a team driver so I kind of want to say that, you know, I have a better, more real world, you know, response when I'm trying to help you pick a servo. But obviously, like you said, we got our sponsorship, you know, obligations to obtain. So, or uphold. Right. So, which could be a whole nother topic. I mean, that building rigs, when you're a sponsored driver, there's so many areas you can get handicapped or wrote or tied down with certain things that for some people that it might be it might be too much for them you know and i'm fortunate enough that the people that want to back me are all products that i'm happy with using i don't have any kind of an issue um the one thing i'm kind of happy i don't have is a tire sponsor because there's so many different tires out there now and there's and you know there's some definite heavy hitters like proline's got a really big name in the tire industry um and there's a lot of proline tires i like but i also enjoy running the pitbull tires um so it's like i like having that freedom of being able to run pretty much whatever i want so if this build if this build i feel oh hey i want to run a super swamp okay hit a you know go to proline order the super swampers and throw them on a rig now if on this rig i'm like ooh, i think the rock beast would look way better um then i could be like hey go order up some pipples and throw them on i know there's some people that like you know they because they're sponsored by certain you know like they have a tire sponsor they can only run certain tires and you know Maybe, yeah, the tires work good, but I'm one of those, and it could just be a weird, I don't know, pork or something like that. Um, I just, you know, like, I like to try a different tire on every build. Like, I don't like to have repeats. I mean, obviously, you're going to go back to what works, and you're going to throw it on there. But sometimes I try to mix it up, so that way you can say, okay, I'm going out uh, to these rocks. Oh, I remember this rig worked really well because it had you know these tires or you could be like oh i'm going over i'm going out to a sandier location oh go with these tires because these work 
better. That that's why I kind of like to have something different, so I can always right. kind of say, have a almost like have a rig for every area. You know, you always want to ultimately try to have it all around, but sometimes some tires just outshine others in different elements, and there's just you know no way around it. Oh yeah, no, that's absolutely true. That that's totally the case. I mean, it just it happens to be like where we are that one of the best tires you can run are the swampers just especially in the winter time you know and it's just because of the terrain that we have and everything else you know you get some mud mixed in with all the crazy hard high traction rock faces and stuff and throw in rain and everything else and it just happens to be what works the best for us here so it's you know that, that's why it's always so funny when you see people post online like all right, guys, who makes the best tires? You know, it's like, I, I think a lot of people like that. It's like, if you have any common sense, you're going to look at that and be like, dude, that's an impossible question to answer honestly, you know? And plus, even if someone doesn't answer it honestly, it's not necessarily going to apply to everybody because, like I said, everybody has a different geographic location and different terrain. So, I mean, the posts like that are just really silly and don't really help anybody i i feel like some people probably do stuff like that just to see people like argue and stuff so i think that's some of it and i think honestly what some of it is too <clears throat> is it could also be somebody who's just getting into the hobby and they maybe not they might not know so they they ask and you know they're probably going to try and see okay um i asked this question and 15 people said this tire and then three people said this tire six people said this tire well that that'll kind of give you an idea of okay what should i go with right you know, that's, if, that's if enough true, people yeah. if enough people are recommending this one tire they're probably going to go that way which right. you know there's nothing wrong with with looking for advice you know in the sure. community um but sometimes you almost need to find like i said it goes back to the whole servo thing they're almost like you know shoes it's you know it's almost it's going to be what you know you like or what you enjoy Right. And there's so many different variables that can change all that. I mean, between, like you said, terrain, driving habits. You know, I see some people, there's no steady crawl. It's like... Oh, hammer, yeah. <laughs> Throttle it's like it's Yeah, it's hammer down. Well, yeah, a different tire is going to work differently for that. Because some tires... They're they're stickier, so they're gonna you know they're gonna work better when you're going slow, so they can actually grab and pull mm -hmm. you up over the obstacle. You know, if you're hauling ass, they they you might be missing a couple things because now you're using the momentum of the rig flying forward, you know, to get you up over obstacles. Yeah, exactly. So. Dude could drive with just mad wheel speed everywhere, and that's what he you know, like you don't really know. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so it's one of those things I, you know, I, I'm definitely going to say that in this episode to just, you know, if, if you're a person that's always been interested in like trying to, you know, find out what works best for you, like, just don't be afraid to try different like try different products, you know, yeah. if you, if you have the opportunity to try different ones, you know, maybe on your next build, instead of going your go-to like tried and true, you know, setup, maybe try something a little different, you know? That way you can, you know, kind of expand and kind of see what's out there. Um, you know, it's it's definitely something that, you know, will help you not only be more familiar with different products, but you'll, you know, you'll get a chance to see what else is out there. Because you could say this brand is your favorite brand in the entire world, and you might try brand B, and that might 
be easier for you to program, uh, might be more cost, you know, efficient, might work better for your situation, and that might become your new favorite one. So you mm-hmm. never know. Yeah, exactly. You don't know till you try. And, you know, if you do have an open mind and you do try stuff like that, I mean, you're really just kind of opening the possibilities up for more fun and getting to experience different things. So it's actually, you know, I mean, it's definitely to your benefit and you're going to have more working knowledge of products in the hobby and what works and what doesn't, especially for you. So that, you know, if you do have a local guy that asks you, you can, you know, answer him honestly with, you know, a good informed opinion on something so exactly so uh, we had a question that i wanted this and i was being dumb and forgot to uh i think this is clear back to elio's episode um no this was with rc girl actually so it was a question from marcus snow and I answered it on the page just being a numbskull rather than just, you know, because I didn't want him to think I was ignoring him. And so he was like, oh, I got to think of a different question for you now. I was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> so anyway, so what uh, we'll answer Marcus's question this, this episode so he doesn't feel like we left him out here. So he said, when scratch building a rig, what do you guys like to start? Body, chassis, wheels, maybe motor trans. Do you build or buy your chassis? Um. Do you want to start with that one or no go for it so i'm when you use the word scratch building i'm thinking somebody kind of like wes you know somebody who's making or you know um matt uh kent from sbg somebody mm-hmm. who makes their bodies from scratch to me that's what i what i define a scratch builder so it's kind of hard um to answer it from that perspective right but regardless you almost have to kind of start with your wheelbase. Your wheelbase is everything. So if you get a body that's got, you know, a 12 inch wheelbase, you know, ideally you don't want to be putting a 13 inch wheelbase on it because you're going to have it. The axles either going to be, there's multiple ways the axles could be going. They could be going one inch forward, one inch back, half inch back and forward, you know, cause you're going to have to divvy up the distance. So realistically you need to find a body that you want to run and then put it on, you know, the chassis and kind of see where, you know, all your, where the wheelbase has to be adjusted to. Um, that's typically how I do my building process. If I'm going to build a custom rig, I won't use the word scratch building. I guess I'll use a custom rig um, term. Um, unless you yeah. want to say scratch building as in the fact that you're building a rig from scratch, like a scratch meaning Spare parts, red, I think. Spare is, parts. I think that's up. what he's going for. Okay. Yeah, I definitely start with the body just because it makes it easier because you can always manipulate the body, whether that's dovetail, um, bob it, uh, hog out the wheel wells. You know, there's a bunch of different things you could do to kind of help aid so you don't have to adjust the wheelbase so much so it's not such a drastic, you know, change from like, oh, okay, I'm using a body that's got a 12 inch you know, wheelbase opening and I've got a rig that's, you know, a 13 inch wheelbase. Um, you know, that helps. Um, the other thing too is I know a lot of bodies out there, especially now since, um, crawling's becoming, you know, definitely her scale is becoming more and more popular. Um, I remember when I first got into this, you really had to look at the wheelbase of some of these bodies because, 
they were so different from the the base wheelbase of a rig that you know you're like okay how am i going to make this work because you know it's off by this much yeah. uh, because when they you got to remember when they first started making these bodies a lot of these bodies were for like stadium not stadium trucks but like bashers where the tires stuck out past the body by like four inches so you didn't have to worry about any kind of clearance you know you just threw a body on there to make your car look like something right you know so um that'd be my best advice um as far as chassis goes i've never made my own chassis i've always used a chassis the closest i've gotten to making my own chassis would probably be like a truggy or something something where like the back half is all made out of tube um that's really the closest otherwise it's always been um somewhat of a readily available chassis whether that be axial or aftermarket frame rails or something like from bpc you know some sort of Mm -hmm. flat metal you know product um but yeah that's how i would go about building a rig yeah no i think that's really good actually what about you uh i honestly in this this kind of just re like it kind of confirmed it for me i don't like building kits i really don't that unimog kit as great as it was like honestly i don't really get like the joy that some people talk about when they're building something like for me it comes in all the finishing work and stuff like that that's that's what i enjoy about it and so for me, it's, you know, a lot of my rigs will have two or three different lives as different vehicles, you know, because I can't just, you know, buy a rig for every body that we do a wrap for or some sort of decal kit for or something. So a lot of mine just kind of turn into different things um, as time goes on. So, like, I ideally, like, I for the most part, I just like doing, like, what we're doing with the Wraith. You buy something change a couple of little things on it and just kind of go from there, drive it for a while. Then when you get bored from it or bored with it, if you do, you know, go nuts and make it into something crazier or whatever, turn it into something new. I mean, that's kind of the nice thing with this. I see a lot of guys that like retire rigs and stuff. And I've, I've never understood that. Cause it's like, man, what a waste, you know? I mean, give that thing another life and freshen it up and get it back out there. So, I mean, that, that's kind of what, what I do. I, I really don't like to, sit there and build something out of a box like that it's it just it's takes a lot of time that i don't really have so i always feel rushed when i'm doing it because i need to hurry up and get it done for like photos and stuff like that and then get those posted to the website so people can order it and there's just always a lot involved anytime there's a different rig around here that i'm doing something with so no i i'd prefer to just start out with an rtr or a built kit and just do whatever stuff to it that i feel like that's really about it yeah um if you're going that aspect i mean i have a heart i mean i don't know i enjoy building um it's but sometimes like i said like or like you said there is a time where having a ready to run is fun and it's just nice to have something where you don't have to do a lot of work too yeah Maybe you want to add a couple items or detail it out a certain way to make, you know, give it your own personality or character. But um, sometimes even an RTR is not a bad platform to start some sort of a quote-unquote custom build. Um, Like I said, 
nowadays, most of these bodies are tailored around vehicles that are out there. Your average crawler has a wheelbase of anywhere between 12 and 12 and a half inch wheelbase. That's usually your standard that I've mm-hmm. seen. Um, there are a couple of different ones that are a little shorter, um, but your average is anywhere between 12 and 12 and a half, I would say. So it's not that hard to find a body you want to run for that wheelbase. There, I've noticed too, um, something that you can do also is just selectively check out different link ends. Because if you do, like, let's say that you just fell in love with the Proline TRX4 Jeep JK body because it's a little newer looking than the one for the Axial. And you've got the 2017 RTR, you know, CRC Jeep. You know, take and you can put, like, the longer Revo rod ends on it to lengthen the wheelbase. Just put them on one end, you know, and that'll stretch it out enough. So, I mean, there's, like, little tricks you can do, too, as far as your links and stuff goes. that You don't even necessarily have to make all new links you can just use different rod ends and stuff and kind of fine-tune your wheelbase that way too which is kind of nice yeah the other thing i would like to note about that i've always found um that it's easier to stretch the rear than it is to stretch the front because once you mess with the front a lot of these companies have already spent the time and money and effort to engineer this thing to work the way it is so if your pan hard bar mounts in a certain location then that's where it usually should stay or at least that's where it's going to work better exactly um, yeah bec- you know so because once you start uh, messing with the front well either then you got to start messing with where the servo sits so your drag link is where it should be same thing with the pan hard like there's just so many more moving parts it gets a little challenging to rearrange everything so i usually always recommend yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the front, it's really easy to screw up the geometry. I mean, I that CR12, I had to figure out my own three-link pan hard setup on that. And, dude, like, there's definitely something to be said for these guys that are the engineers at the factories trying to get it right. Because there's a lot to keep in mind. You know, you got bump steer to worry about. you got axle sway, you know, a thing moving side to side when you compress the suspension. There's a lot of things that, you know, all that hard work's done for you. So leave the front alone and just do the back, and that's definitely the way to go. I, I think I've only lengthened the front on one rig ever and that was my og scx 10 and it was because at the time it had a axle on or servo on axle mount for steering so it didn't really matter yeah that's really the only time you're going to be able to adjust the front because like you said it's on the axle so there's not really so your steering doesn't get messed with because typically when your servo is on axle it's typically a four link setup so as long as you're equally adjusting all of your links it's not going to affect the steering at all. But on a CMS or chassis mounted servo rig, um, messing with that is going to affect so much stuff. Where your um, where your tie rod is or drag link um, from the servo down to the axle, you know, how much throw that has or less throw it has because you threw it off center or you shortened the distance from where it relates to the axle. Um, and same with the panhard, you know, because then the panhard's designed to go into a certain area. So if you, you know, push that axle forward too much, then you're losing where it goes or back. Then you're losing where it mounts stock-wise. So then you have to either, A, come up with an offset mount or 
like I said, it's a, it's it's doable, but it's a lot more challenging. Yeah, and there's a and then you know too, like we we're saying that all the hard work's done for you if you just leave it alone. Because <laughs> I guarantee the average dude doesn't necessarily have better ideas than the engineers that build these things. So I mean, that's something to keep in mind too. You can like overfix these things to where you fixed it so much that it is broken now. You know, like <laughs> yeah, it's really easy to do. Oh yeah, I've seen that in many cases where guys have just thrown their wallet at a rig and the thing ends up just sucking and you go and drive like a rtr deadbolt and aside from squishy links you know like the thing's killer so i mean there's it's just funny how stuff like that works i don't know well what i think's funny is like thinking back on it now i spent more time adjusting wheelbases on my original uh, axial platform back in the day when you know all the rigs came with axle mounted servos so you're you know so if you wanted to make it more scale you had to buy an aftermarket uh cms kit whether that be um hand brothers racing or hand brothers racing is the first very i guess what's the word easy or user-friendly setup um they gave you everything uh, and then there was other companies. I mean, there's so many other companies. There's yeah, companies VPS is a good one. BPC. BP, yep, Vanquish Products has a good one. Um, there was actually a company called Blue Monkey. I have one of their setups on one of my rigs. And it's actually funny because they came out and they had a different approach to it, which was kind of like what we're seeing now, where they took um, the servo, mounted it the way that it's mounted currently in a lot of ready to mm-hmm. run up chassis and right next to it they put an area for you to mount a servo bridge which i call it pioneering because this was like eight six seven years ago you know that's rad we're coming up with this stuff and now it's like you know it's like standard equipment you know exactly. that's what some that's what some of these rigs are just coming with from the factory so um it's definitely interesting to see where everything went and it just goes to show you you know, I know we've touched on this before, um, how much these, a lot of these companies listen to what people are doing in the real world. Um, you know, they're not, they're not just building something. They're like, yeah, we're building a car. We're checking box A, we're checking box B, and we're checking box C. Okay, that meets all of what we wanted to do. Let's just put it out there. Someone's going to buy it. Um, they're actually taking the time to say, hey, look, People really want to see a servo up in the chassis. People really want to see, you know, gear options being a factory, you know, setup. Um, since they, you know, that's like one of the first things a lot of people do just to get better quality out of their rig. I mean, there's so many things like that that I think, you know, are really great for this hobby. And that's why we're continuing to see stuff like, you know, the evolution of now Element mm-hmm. RC. You know, they're using, which I think is one of the first companies that have the overdrive gears. Um, they come in the kit or the RTR, I guess. Um, they come in the spare parts bag, so you can actually adjust the overdrive amount um, for your driving. And that's something that we haven't seen before. But it's definitely cool. It's definitely oh, different. Oh, yeah. So, no, absolutely. 
There's, let me see here. I'm looking for something on the internet really quick. The good old interweb? Yep. Um, shoot. Ah, okay. There it is. Yeah, they still don't have pictures up. I was looking to see about the uh, that new TRX-4. They call it a scale and trail crawler. Land Rover and it has the word orange in their part number, so that is a uh, new one that we're probably going to be seeing. We've got is it not on here now? Um, Vanquish's chassis I saw on a main earlier, and now it's not, which is kind of weird. Um, that's weird. Yeah, A-Main has the VS410 and then the Black Edition one. Um, earlier in the week, they had the chassis kit for the SCX10 and the SCX, or for the SCX102, and then basically whatever else. You know, if you are going to build something, we'll say custom, not from scratch from now on. I, I like that terminology that you came up with for that. That's a good way of putting it custom versus a scratch build because it's not really scratch built. So. Well, like I said, everybody uses a different term, but, you know, I, I think of scratch building as you're literally starting from scratch. Like, you're starting yeah. with a piece of styrene, which, you know, watching, I think Wes actually has a really good, if you guys, if, if our listeners haven't um, listened to some of, uh, or heard us use some of these names before, if you have, you still haven't checked out their stuff, um, Wes, um, Wes Made is his name on uh, Instagram and YouTube. You check out his YouTube channel. He just released this video a couple days ago. I already watched it. It's insane. He kind of answered, I guess, the scratch building question um, in his uh, way on on that video. Um, he kind of goes into in depth on how do you take a scale vehicle that you want to scale down to one tenth. And how, like, how do you start? How do you make it? And it's crazy to see the amount of thought before he even starts taking out a piece of styrene and cutting it down. What goes into how are you going to make this work? Like, how are you going to make it scale? And he actually said it's not like a perfect science because if you look at the, if you look at our real world cars, you know, from full size trucks to mid sized trucks to you know, SUVs to cars to small cars to even like stuff that's like, you know, they, they call it, you know, well, I don't, I don't call it a smart car, but the brand smart car, you mm -hmm. know, that thing's super tiny in comparison to a full size truck. But if you were to scale that down to 10th scale, you'd be doing it differently than you would a full size truck because it wouldn't be the same size as a full size truck. That right. So, um, it was just kind of interesting to see the process that he does. Um, and Wait he said a lot of on it, here at some point too. Yeah, and he actually said that you know you almost have to just kind of make everything work for what you're working with. So um, he actually said he starts with the body, but what dictates the body is the width of the axle. So if the width of the axle is a certain you know, like let's say it's five inches, then he wants the body to be no more wider than like four and three quarters or five inches. So that that way, 
the tire will still fall in the normal, you know, parameters of how it would be on a real vehicle. Right. You know, obviously, if you want the tire to tuck, you're going to make the body a little wider. So, you know, the tire goes up into the wheel wells. And then once you figure that out, then you can make the overall length, so on and so forth, figure out the movies, you know, goes on like that. But no, it was, a, it was, it was really nice to watch, and it was definitely mind-blowing to see how some people start that process. Pretty wild. So... Yeah, a lot of the scratch building stuff, I have a lot of respect for that because it's just, like I said, it's just different. And it's like not something that I'm like, you know, it's not something that I'm, I guess, comfortable would be a good word to say. It's like, I don't know, I'm just not comfortable trying to figure out all that stuff. It's just, you know, because then if you go through all that work and you start scaling this thing and then you start gluing stuff together and it doesn't look right, you're like, oh, <laughs> there goes all that material and time. Yep. So kind of goes back to our fabrication talk, you know, the same thing. There's some times I've fabbed up something, welded it all together, and then you look at it and you're just like, it looks like a piece of crap. And you're like, <laughs> I just spent all that time for nothing. So That's funny. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Some of that stuff, like, it stresses me out and it shouldn't, but. I get like stressed out just thinking about it. <laughs> There's like so much to consider when you're doing all this. Yeah, which is very overwhelming to like the new person. I mean, like I hope we don't yeah. have any new listeners that hear like get to this point of this episode and go, "Oh God, there's you know there's wheelbases to worry about, and there's you know and there's the overall width of bodies." And, the nice you know. thing is there is a lot of resources though for oh, stuff yeah. like this, which that that helps. I mean, because otherwise it's just you're swimming in a sea of information that you don't know is good or bad, so it's kind of tough. Oh yeah. Oh, excuse me. Freaking long days at work. Yeah, I know, man. Days. I was just looking. It was like ten o'clock already. It's like, oh my god. Yeah, no, I know. That's okay it's... though, because. I'm not worried about it. We both kind of needed our little <laughs> naps before the show. It's just man, funny that like a, both of us like both happened to do that on the same day. Man, uh, we're like a, it's like a couple of old farts. Got to get your like mid afternoon naps in. Dude, I am an old fart. I'm so worn out from this last weekend. So like Saturday night we had the six hour endurance race at die hard rc and that was gnarly and it was it had rained pretty much almost the entire day up until it was race time and there was a ton of moisture in the air even though it quit raining they were out on that astroturf track like blowing it with leaf blowers and stuff and like dude let me tell you like six hours like just being part of a team that is on the track for six hours is a lot of damn work like it was pretty gnarly um you only drive for 20 minutes at a time so i drove for six 20 minute sessions and that's still a lot but uh it was funny i mean even with all the moisture and stuff we really didn't have any kind of issues you know we were talking about like waterproofing and whatnot i mean really like the buggy body was the only thing keeping the elements out from 
you know, get into the electronics on these, and it was pretty well protected. We had a kind of a system where we would change batteries and change drivers after 20 minutes, and when we would do that, we had my little portable air compressor, and we would go and, like, blow out the receiver and stuff just to make sure it didn't have water in there to make it start glitching or shorten out. So we did that, but so, like, I think I got home at 3.30 Saturday night when that was finally done because I wow. live, yeah, I live, like, about an hour... 15 hour and a half from the track and so that was a hell of a drive coming back and then we were back out the next day sunday for a practice day and just kind of like they were doing sort of like an opening weekend kind of meet and greet type thing and so there's a lot of new faces there checking out like airplanes and um one of the guys that races and this was kind of cool like he doesn't even own a crawler yet uh i'll i'll even mention his name jeremy kim Super cool guy, local racer, pretty new to the scene, uh, just bumped out a novice class here recently. And uh, Jeremy has been out there working his butt off, moving rocks around and getting things set up for the crawler course. And it was really cool because, like, I wanted to help out with it, but, you know, I wanted to make sure, like, you know, I'd talk to him first. And I was like, hey, dude, you know, I don't want to step on your toes or anything. I know you're kind of going you know, and doing your thing here and stuff. And so, you know, I'd like to help, but I don't want to like mess anything up that you have in mind or have already done. And he's like, no, man, I was just trying to get people excited about it and motivated so that other people will kind of, you know, that know what they're doing or whatnot, would hop on board and start helping with it. And so, uh, uh, two of the guys from our club came out Sunday and helped move rocks and stuff. And so we got a pretty good start of a man-made course there. And I took some old bridges and ladders out that we weren't really using for our events anymore and took them there. So it was kind of cool. So we had that and man, I was so dead by the time, <laughs> by the time this last weekend was over, it was, it was a long one. So a lot of RC and it was really strange going from like, driving a race car on the track and then like messing around on the crawler course testing stuff out to make sure you know that the lines and stuff we were building were doable so it was really weird like bouncing back and forth between the two but now it's a pretty fun weekend so that's kind of cool it's just one more spot that we've got opened up here that we have access to that's really cool just you know more alternatives to go and drive and have fun so it was really a neat thing. It was cool that the owners of the place were just all about it. Like, yeah, just keep it kind of natural looking and you guys kind of do whatever. So pretty fun. Nice. Yeah, I wish I could say I was wore out from RC. Mine's for the work. I'm like, ugh. You know? <clears throat> sometimes, sometimes, um, being in construction, you kind of go, man, did I, did I choose the right profession? Like, there's some days you're just nonstop the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed. And those days, you're just sitting there going, oh, I wish I was doing something else. And then, and then you kind of like, you know, relax or, you know, get some rest. And you're kind of like, all right, I'm good. I'm ready to go again. So, no, it's just, yeah. Two days, two days, because it's already been a short week because the holiday. So, yeah two days into the week already and i was like i've been like at 100 miles an hour the whole time so <laughs> yeah it's it's rough i i uh i worked in construction but it was on the office side of it and i'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything but dude there's not a single thing i miss about that profession whatsoever yeah it's just it it's hard um you know not to get off topic but no, yeah. it's all right there's 
you know, it, it's a lot of like organizing. Oh, it's organization and corresponding with different people and different companies. That's the hardest part. And then the the biggest one that comes down to it, and it's almost like this is even like the physical exhaustion. This is like mental exhaustion. Is some of the clients. Some of the clients, it's like they know they want something, but they don't really know what they want. And then you uh, try yep. To, and then you try to talk them through it, and they go, yeah, that's what I want. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you do it, and then they go, I was thinking it was going to be like this. And you're like, no, that was the other option. Like, you know, So you have to undo everything you just did, fix it all. And, you know, those, those are the times that it gets really like, you're like, oh, my gosh. And then there's <laughs> other ones. I've, I've had projects, you know, almost like today. Today I was with um, an electrical contractor buddy of mine. Um, put in two new circuits in the garage, um, tore out all the old conduit, put all the new stuff because they were going to sheetrock the walls. So they want everything in the walls now. Um, all the lights, output boxes, all that stuff. And, you know, we just put our heads down and just powered through it and got everything done in eight hours. So, um, you know, some days it's, you know, they're easier than others, but I could definitely see where you're saying you don't, you don't miss it. There's, there's day, like I said, trust me. I'd be lying to you if I said I love it every day. There's certain days <laughs> I'm like, what did I get myself into? Well, the scenario you described is very much like why I don't do custom stuff nearly as much anymore. Like it's just strictly a case by case basis because a lot of times people don't know what they want and they don't have the language to convey to you what it is that they want. And so you're just, it's really hard to get information out of them because it's like, well, okay, so I'm just going to start drawing whatever, and then you're going to tell me if that's what you liked or not. Like, it, it just ends up being a horrible process, not just for me, but it's tough for the customer, too, because there are so many options out there, and they have a picture of something in their head, but they don't know how to, like, convey that to me, you know, what they are thinking about. So I'm always telling them, like, you know, send me pictures of stuff you've seen that you think looks cool, and, you know, that's kind of, like, inspiration for what you're wanting to do, and you know, because the times where somebody's like, I don't know, just make me whatever, make me something cool and, you know, just do whatever you want. You do that and they're like, oh, well, that's not really what I had in mind. It's like, dude, you're killing me here. So it's, yeah, that's rough. It's I know. I know. I've been guilty about that with you a couple of times. Not really. I mean, like you've had a pretty good plan about just about everything that you've come to me with. I think the only thing that like there was any real question on like i think the xj you let me just do whatever i felt like yeah. and then because you just wanted two chains big on the side and we were kind of going for like the covering the windows look on that one so there was that and then the jk you were kind of like you you pretty much had a plan there and so i don't know it was easy your stuff's been really easy to go back and forth and talk to about so it's that's been good so well, plus you, you're familiar with what I do too, so that helps. I gave you I gave you full reign on the Deadbolt. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and I actually ended up using that design as one of our pre-mades and done several of those. God, I, there's so much stuff that I got to do. Like I just I think about it and it gets like overwhelming sometimes because like, <laughs> the, there's like so many new products I got to hurry up and finish drawing and get out there, and it's like man, oh man. Just one thing at a time. That's that's what I got to keep telling myself. Just breathe and do one thing at a time and then finish that and move on to the next thing. Oh, yeah. So, 
Well, um, we're getting to that point towards the end of this uh, episode. Um, is there anything else you would like to cover real quickly before we uh, wrap it up? Um, not really, other than next week. It looks like we'll have Team Associated's John Schultz as a guest, so I wanted to throw that out there. That should be a great episode, and I'm sure that... Uh, a lot of people are going to have questions for him, so it would be kind of cool if we uh, we'll do a post saying, uh, you know, hey, this is who we're going to have next week. Any questions you would like for him uh, that you have for him that you would like answered, let us know. You know, send, send us a message and kind of attack it that way. Well, yeah, um, I actually was going to say I got better at that. I usually, first thing I do in the morning when I'm eating breakfast, I hop on and I post up, hey, reminder, we're recording tonight. If you have any questions, feel free to ask them. So just to try and get it, you know, so that way we're not springing it on them too late and they're trying to ask questions while, you know, we've already either A, recorded or B, recording and kind of miss it. Um, Because I know some of those happen in our earlier episodes, but. Yeah. No, it should be fine. So, but, yeah. So, um, yeah. No, that's be really it on my end. Okay. Um. Well, I guess if that's it, then uh, we'll finish this one out with. Uh, we hope everybody enjoys and be safe out there. Whatever you do, and remember, always have fun. Yes, that's very important. So, already, all right, guys. guys. Well, we will see you guys next week. Alrighty. Later, guys.